Last week, obviously, Matt, we started our new series. Uh, we just felt like we're, obviously, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. We got to the end of chapter 7, been through some fairly heavy-duty stuff that the church was going through, looking at very specific issues. Um, we just felt, actually, we want to come back to the source, to Jesus, to look at some very simple mustard seeds, uh, some very simple teaching by him um, that actually are very difficult things uh, to actually live by fully. But the effect that they can have, if we can, is phenomenal. Rick Warren, that quoted, actually the percentage of stuff that we know in the West is quite vast. But the percentage of stuff that we live by is very small. And he says this, the only parts of the Bible we believe are the parts that we do. So this morning, we're going to come to another one of these mustard seeds uh, that we're going to look at, and we're going to look at how do we live by this great teaching that Jesus brings, essentially, in, uh, in just a few words again. Um, next slide. So we're looking at forgiveness, okay? Uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we're looking at uh, verses 21. We're going to start with just 21 and 22. And this is the disciple. Sorry, you can't read that. I haven't thought about that against that backdrop, have I? Um, we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. And this is the disciple Peter who comes to Jesus and he asks a question. Um, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. I tell you not seven, but 77 times. Uh, some, some Bibles say seven times 70, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but this issue of forgiveness is huge. Okay. Jesus in um, the Gospels devotes almost half of his teaching on kingdom community to this issue of forgiving people from the heart. And so for him, this is a really key mustard seed for us as the church, okay? It's key in what it means to live out his kingdom and be one of his children in his kingdom. Um, and Peter understood the rabbinic tradition of the day there, uh, which is why he comes with this question. Actually, within Jewish culture, you Basically, the rabbis would say, you forgive somebody three times, okay? But you're not obligated to forgive a fourth time. And so, I guess Peter was trying to earn some brownie points here. So he goes up to Jesus, what do you think? Seven times. I've doubled it and added one, you know? Um, and we obviously get this response uh, from Jesus, um, which is very difficult for Peter to understand. It's very difficult for the Jews to understand after what they've been through. But essentially, um, instead of it being seven, instead of it even being a number, this isn't a, um, a quantity that Jesus is proclaiming. He is essentially saying, we need to forgive people unlimited. Okay, There needs to be unlimited forgiveness. Um, and um, as I said, some translations phrase it seven times 70. Obviously, that is a number, 490. That isn't the number that he's saying is the magic number. This is a big number to help us to understand this is an unlimited amount of times. And um, 
it isn't just that Peter, Jesus is trying to increase Peter's mercy here. Um, he's, he's very much telling them in clear terms, there's no final number, forgive without limits. So there's nothing complex in this teaching that Jesus brings. Just like there wasn't anything complex last week, Jesus has this ability, doesn't he, to bring the simplest of things that challenge us to the very core. And um, he does this, he essentially flips culture on its head in this one teaching with 10 words. 10 words is all it takes to totally flip that culture on its head. And Jesus is tackling an, pretty much an endemic problem that's been around really since the beginning of time. It's been around since sin entered the world. The issue of sin and the hurt that it causes. He's tackling the issues of man's response to people who wrong us, who hurt us, who continue to do so. And if we look at the world and we look at the effects that this has had as they've responded, then we see how anger and bitterness and vengeance have caused mankind to say the most dreadful things, to do the most awful things. And we see how hurt and pride and bitterness cause us to want to bring our own justice, doesn't it? When somebody wrongs us, we want to bring our own justice. We want people to pay the price. We want people to see, to get what they deserve. There's something in us that feels very justified to make sure that person gets what they deserve. And I just wanted to start by looking at a few newspaper headlines. Um, these are just things I just looked up, looking at a few things that have happened in our world today. Um, very well, very up-to-date headlines on the ways that people have responded to, to feeling wronged or being wrong. Angry, just do one at a time, Neil. Oh, they're all going. Angry homeowner gets revenge on commuter who parked in her driveway. That was a telegraph one. Somebody parked in this lady's drive and she was having some building work, so she got the builders to dump this big pile of stones on the person's car because they parked in her driveway. That was her idea of justice and this person getting what they deserved. Angry builders get revenge on their boss by taking a brand new home apart with a chainsaw after he failed to pay them. And in this article you had these, these guys who literally had these chainsaws, they were taking the house down that they'd obviously built because they hadn't been paid. And that happens all the time actually in the building trade. If you don't pay, we'll take it apart. Angry son bulldozes office his mother was planning to buy impossible family revenge attack. So again, it doesn't matter who you are when it comes to this issue of forgiveness. Often, those closest to you are where a lot of this happens, where this revenge attack happens. So we see here a son who is taking down his, his mother over something that's gone on in the family. Father kills son in revenge for drug death. You know, a father's son has died um, with drugs and he 
feels like the revenge for that is to kill the person who gave his son the drugs. Next one. Mother killed friend kitten in microwave. I know a lot of you will feel really... But how do we get people to actually feel something here? In revenge for boyfriend being reported to police. A lot of people love cats here, don't they? Hands up if you love cats. Yeah, I think they're evil, but anyway. Um, Mother killed friend's kitten in microwave in revenge for boyfriend being reported to police. So again, the extent people are going to, they're killing people, they're killing people's pets. Finally, just to give you a a larger view, Russia strikes back. Putin's bombers hit Turkish border crossing in revenge for downed jet. Um, We obviously all know this situation that was quite recent, wasn't it? Um, And we have this thing, don't we, where we want to get people back. There's a revenge mentality, okay? And there's something in us where we want to pay that justice back. We feel like we're the ones that have been wronged, therefore we're the ones that have the rights to repay back what they deserve. And um, so this teaching of Jesus is so countercultural. Okay, we must try and understand this. And what is he actually asking us to do then? What is he actually asking us to do with these words? He essentially is saying to us, I don't want you to treat people as they deserve. As kingdom people, you're not to treat people as they deserve. And I think, if I'm honest, I don't know about you, it's such a difficult thing for Peter He is immensely shocked, I think, by this. And so Jesus goes on to help him to understand. I think probably because he's finding this concept so difficult, he goes on to tell a parable. Okay, so we're going to look at this parable that he uses to help Peter to understand why is it that he's asking his community of believers to behave in this way? Why is it that we can choose to not treat people as they deserve Um, So if you turn to your Bibles again, we're going to read this. It's a parable of the um, unmerciful servant. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he could pay back the debts. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
parables are so powerful, aren't they? Okay, Jesus used these actually to, um, to help people to understand different things in his kingdom. And I don't know what your first thought is when you read this. What's the emotions that it's going through your mind and your heart as you read this? And for me, there's, there's this emotion of trying to understand this servant who has been forgiven this huge debt and the, the indignation that he can go straight on the back of being forgiven such a debt to then treating somebody else with a very small debt in this manner. But as we actually dwell on this parable, and as we look at it and we dwell on this servant, I don't know about you, but for me, I start to realize that I am that servant. That is the way that many of us actually respond. And it's so easy to point the finger, isn't it? And to look at them and go, how dare you? But if we're honest in our hearts, that is how we behave. And so we're going to try and understand why that is um, and understand how we get to that point of forgiving people. Um, so what is Jesus calling us to do with this parable? I wanted to give you a bit of a definition of forgiveness first. Verse 27 helps us to understand in this parable what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. I'll read this out. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Forgave him the debt. Um, another term is absorbing the debt. Okay, Taking that debt away. I don't know if you remember in 2008 when we had our financial breakdown, our economic breakdown, our crisis, and um, the banks. We all, we all know how to talk about the banks, don't we? Uh, the banks are blamed for causing this debt. They're blamed for all sorts of things in this. But actually what happened is a lot. we saw a lot of the banks starting to go bankrupt, didn't we? They didn't have the finances to sustain themselves and so what actually happened in that scenario? They were bailed out. Okay? The debt that they owe was absorbed. It was absorbed by somebody. And that doesn't mean that it's magically just disappeared. Oh, there was debt there and it's just gone. It's just disappeared. No. That debt that the banks had was absorbed and it cost people. The cost of that offence that was caused through whatever it was, through corruption, through um, wrong mechanisms that were in the marketplace, it had to be absorbed by someone. And it was actually absorbed by the taxpayers. Okay, The government bailed them out, and you and I, taxpayers, absorbed that cost. Forgiveness is something of this absorbing the cost. Okay? And as we look at this parable, we see some surprising things in it. 
probably two surprising things. And often when we look at a parable, we see one surprising thing, but we see two very surprising things going on in this parable. So the story, as we've read, is about a king. And um, he's obviously a very, very wealthy king. And one of his servants who owns him 10,000 talents. And I just want to say for this servant, this wasn't any ordinary servant. Okay, It couldn't have been. He wasn't one of the cooks or the gardeners in the palace. This servant must have been somebody pretty important to have owed this amount of money. Okay, uh, One of the privy councillors, one of the government ministers, people like that. And um, we know that because this 10,000 talents that was owed is, and people would have known when you said this, was just a phenomenal amount of money. People try to estimate today what sort of uh, amount that is. I'm sure Ken would have a go, go at, a good go at it. But it's an astronomical sum of money. We're talking in the billions. Not even the millions. We're talking a billion, two billion. And so it would have been unimaginable that this person could ever have thought, considered paying it back. And... Um, when obviously the king finds that the servant can't repay this extraordinary debt, he takes the sort of action that the world would expect, that was common in that culture, and he takes steps to recover that debt um, as best as he can, and he orders the servants and his household and everything in his household to be sold. And sold into slavery. And that wouldn't have come anywhere near to have paid for that debt. But that is what people in that time would have done. So the servant gets on his knees, not surprisingly, and he begs the king, look, give me some time to pay this off. He doesn't ask for it to be cleared. He says, give me some time. He doesn't expect that. Give me some time to pay that off. And as I said, that amount of sum of money was unimaginable to even contemplate how someone could pay that off how someone could actually recover that debt. And we get this first big surprise in this parable that the king takes this quite astonishing step of simply just forgiving the debt outright. No conditions. He just lets the servant off completely. No, well, let's look at a payment plan over the next 50 years. And if you can pay this back and this back, well, well, we'll call it quits. He totally, no condition, just lets the servant off completely. So, so something so stunning has just happened. This amazing generosity of the king. And when something like that happens in a story, we expect it to have remarkable effects. Life can't just go on the same as though this hadn't happened. Big changes will follow because of this extraordinary generosity. It's like throwing a stone into the middle of a pond. You expect to see some ripples circling out from it. But here comes the second huge surprise in this parable. There are no ripples. The servant ought to have changed. 
and yet he carries on business as usual, like nothing has happened. He behaves just as if this extraordinary event had not happened to him at all. And we see him meeting another servant of the king who owes him something, and we get the exact same situation, scenario, happening again, and yet, up to a certain point, and yet the servant demands that this other servant pays him back the debt, and he gets angry, he grabs him by the throat, and he throws him into prison. A couple of things that we can draw from this parable then about forgiveness. Firstly, forgiveness starts with Jesus. Okay? Forgiveness starts with Jesus. And you know what? He sets the standard for a new way of living. For most of us, we're going to recognize who this king is portraying in the parable. If you haven't figured it out, it's Jesus. It's God. This great debt. The king. The king of kings. And we know from Romans 6, it tells us the wages of sin is death. So the penalty for our sin is very simply death. Uh, death, death. It's this huge debt that we simply cannot repay. But God sent Jesus. And Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Jesus is saying, of course, God has forgiven everything. The whole of the vast debt of sin that we owe, all of it is cancelled outright. There is nothing in your life that you have done that God cannot and already has forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Does that give you peace? There is nothing that you have done in your life that God cannot forgive. There is no debt too big. We are the recipients of God's mercy and generosity on an absolutely mind-blowing scale. But I want to say, if that's the case for us, and we know, we know how sinful we've been, we know how we treated Jesus. We mocked him, we scoffed him. We crucified him. But if we understand the great debt that he's taken on for us, that will change our entire lives. We're no longer in the bookkeeping world in which the parable begins. A world in which accounts have to be settled. God's torn up the pages of our debts. So, for, so now, for us not to forgive those who wrong us is quite outrageous. To insist, as it were, on our rights not to be generous, not to feel hurt and resentful. Our right to seek to redress the wrongs. All of that is to live as though the extraordinary fact of God's forgiveness for us has never actually happened. 
So must we forgive others? However, often to any extent, yes. Why? Because God has forgiven us to an unimaginable extent. God has forgiven us and he means that forgiveness to overflow into our dealings with each other. He forgives us so that the principle by which we now live in his new kingdom is forgiveness. Secondly, the unmerciful servant can only forgive in light of recognizing his own need of forgiveness. He's got to recognize that he is a sinner, that he has a great debt. And you know, I'm not wanting to trivialize the hurts and the pains that we've all suffered. And I, I, would, I would expect every one of us here to have been hurt, to have been wronged by somebody in our lives. And for some, there's going to be more than others. And I'm not wanting to trivialize that. And there's so much that I could go into when we're talking about this issue of forgiveness. As I said, Jesus dedicated over half of his teaching. But he's clearly stating in this parable that recognizing the fact that we have a great debt and that it's been wiped clean forever is crucial. But I want to say God's forgiveness cannot take effect unless we actually accept it. And accepting it makes us forgiving people. And by refusing to forgive others, actually what we're doing is we're refusing to allow God to forgive us. We're refusing to allow God's forgiveness for us when we refuse to forgive others. And that's serious. There's this big warning, if you saw it, at the end of this parable about how God will treat us if we do not forgive others. And it's difficult to fully understand, but there's a connection here. If we look at Matthew 6, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. There's a two-way thing going on here, okay? We've been forgiven this great debt by God. Because of that, we're able to forgive others. And failure to forgive is essentially making that person pay for the debt. And we see the servant choking the debtor and throwing him into prison. And I want to say just a few things on forgiveness. Forgiveness... I want to tell you, is not just an event that happens. It's an ongoing process. Okay, what, what, am I, what do I mean by that? I, um, I remember, actually, when I was 19, there was, a, there was a church split in the church that my dad was leading. And being very defensive of my parents, I remember looking at some of the conflict that was going on within the church leadership and struggling, actually, to forgive this guy who I felt had wronged my dad. And there were points where I felt God really helped me. 
and help me to forgive. And then I'd see something, uh, I'd see this guy, or I'd see God bless him in a way, and suddenly these emotions came up again. I don't want him to be doing well. He doesn't deserve to be doing well. And I had to keep praying and keep expecting God to bring me to that point of forgiving again. This continuous action of forgiving. It's an ongoing process. I want to say that failure to forgive turns victims into victimizers. Okay? Wishing somebody ill on them. And one of the big emotions that comes up when we've been hurt is anger, isn't it? We start to feel angry about the way we've been treated. And anger is a powerful force. Okay? It's a powerful emotion. But actually, very clearly, the Bible tells us anger does one thing often. It ends up destroying ourselves. Okay, and the author, Friedrich Buchner, he says this about anger. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savour to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. Failure to forgive if you allow anger and bitterness to continue in you. It will eat you up. Okay, that's what he's saying. It will eat you up. It's not healthy for us. So actually one of the reasons we're given this opportunity to forgive is because anger is not good. It's not good to allow it to fester. So I want to ask, how do we know then that we've done this truly? How do we know that we've truly forgiven somebody when we feel like they've wronged us? And as I've just given you a little example of um, some of the ways that I realized that I hadn't forgiven or needed to continue to forgive, here's just a few things that I um, would recommend. So when it comes to knowing, have I forgiven this person? There's some good questions. You won't use this against them. Okay? You're not going to use this wrong, wrong and this sin against them, ever. It's gone. You've taken the debt. You won't talk to others and malign their characters. Man, this one's really difficult. This one's, I've, I've found myself at times wanting to justify myself and justify how right I am by pointing out somebody else's uh, wrongdoing. Do you find yourself doing that? Really, really, really difficult. But actually, if we've truly forgiven... We won't do this. We won't talk to others and malign their characters. And we won't dwell on it personally. Okay? You have that temptation, don't you, to dwell on the wrong. And it just stirs up all these emotions and you start running through the circumstances. You start running through the conversations in your head about what you actually want to say to them. 
And actually, you need to let it go. It's gone. It's forgiven. So I want to end by asking this question. If we can water and grow this mustard seed in our lives so that we live by it, what effect is that going to have on our lives and the lives of others around us? And I wanted to show a video this morning. We've got that. Um, and it's a video of the film Les Mis, Les Miserables. Uh, many of you will know this, but just to give you a slight background on the scene that I'm showing, you have this guy, Valjean, who has stolen a loaf of bread, and he has been punished for 19 years. He's been in prison, um, and he's got out, and he's living on the street, essentially, and this priest comes to him and says, look, come, come have a place to stay, have some food to eat. He goes to the priest's house, and... Um, he leaves early in the morning and he steals. He thinks, how am I going get to get by here? And he takes these silver candlesticks with him uh, that are in the priest's home and he leaves and he gets caught by the police. And the police take, and he tells the police, oh, I, I got given them. They take him back to the house of the priest and the priest realizes this guy's life, if he gets caught now stealing this, his life will come to an end actually. And the priest turns around and says, no, I gave him them. I gave him these. And so he takes the cost personally, he gives them these, and he releases Valjean. And we catch up with Valjean now in the chapel, and there's this battle going on in his spirit, okay? And you'll see as the music changes, it's a real, I find this scene really powerful scene, okay? As he tries to grapple with this amazing debt that he's been forgiven, and he's just ruined by, and also the person that he is. So, Neil. What have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. Have I fallen so far, and is the hour so late? And nothing remains but the cry of my hate, the cries in the dark that nobody hears. Here where I stand at the turning of the years. If there's another way to go, I missed it 20 long years ago. My life was a war that could never be won. They gave me a number and they murdered Valjean when they chained me and left me for dead. Just for stealing a mouthful of bread. I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love. He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above. Can such things be? For I had come to hate the world. This world that always hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart 
from him and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack instead he offers me my freedom I feel my shame inside me like a knife he told me that I had a soul how does he know what spirit comes to move my Is there another way to go? I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in. As I stare into the void, to the whirlpool of my sin. Rescue now from that world. From the world of Shandal Shah. Shandal Shah is nothing now. Another story must Amazingly powerful, isn't it? What forgiveness can do to someone's life. And we see the effect that this has on Valjean throughout his entire life. That this one man would forgive him this huge debt. And he goes through life and we see him helping the poor. We see Javert, the law, the police continuing to chase him, continuing trying to make him pay for what he thinks he deserves. And we see that this man is changed. He has received the mercy and the grace of God. And he's forever transformed. The power of forgiveness It's so attractive. It's very difficult to live in that. I just want to end with two other stories. Stories are so helpful to try and help us to understand this point of forgiveness and what it can do in a situation. Um, And the first story is about a guy called Gordon Wilson. Put that PowerPoint back up. Um, And I don't know if you know who Gordon Wilson is. Anyone know who he is? Irish history. Um, What happens here? Gordon Wilson, 1987. He he was at a Remembrance Day service in Enniskillen in uh, Northern Ireland in which innocent people died and many more were injured. 
And Gordon Wilson held his daughter's hands, Maria, as they lay trapped under a mountain of rubble. He was brought out alive and his daughter died. And only hours later, he was interviewed by the BBC. And he refused to express any bitterness towards the murderers of his daughter, saying that the angry words could neither restore his daughter nor bring peace to Northern Ireland. He said this, I have lost my daughter and we shall miss her, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. That will not bring her back. Now these were the spontaneous words of a man who spoke from his heart. And they're remarkable. And some people might think they're superficial. Could real forgiveness in such circumstances be so immediate and apparently easy? But in the weeks that followed, Gordon Wilson had to struggle to be true to those words. He said that he was misunderstood. He was even ridiculed for not wanting revenge. And you know what? It seems to the world to be beyond comprehension that someone can respond like this. But the Irish historian at the time, Jonathan Barden, pinpoints these words of forgiveness that Gordon Wilson spoke as a major turning point in the history of his nation. He said, no words in more than 25 years of violence in Northern Ireland have had such a powerful emotional impact. Amazing how one particular advance of hatred and evil was stopped with Gordon Wilson, with a man who continued, with a man who refused to continue. He refused to add hatred to hatred. And the impact of these words, the impact of forgiveness, the impact of Jesus on his life had a huge impact on that nation. And secondly, I'll tell you the story of a South African woman um, that I found. I'm just going to read it out. A South African woman stood in an emotionally charged courtroom, listening to white police officers acknowledging the atrocities that they had perpetrated in the name of apartheid. Officer Van der Broek acknowledged his responsibility in the death of her son. Along with others, he had shot her 18-year-old son at point-blank range. He and the others parted while they burned his body, turning it over and over on the fire until it was reduced to ashes. Eight years later, Van der Broek and others arrived to seize her husband. A few hours later, shortly after midnight, Van der Broek came to fetch the woman. He took her to a woodpile where her husband lay bound. She was forced to watch as they poured gasoline over his body and ignited the flames that consumed his body. The last words she heard her husband say were, forgive them. Now Vanderbrook stood before her awaiting judgment. South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked her what she wanted. And she said this, I want three things. I want Mr. Vanderbroek to take me to the place where they burnt my husband's body. 
I would like to gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Second, Mr. Vanderbrook took all my family away from me and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. Third, I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like someone now to lead me to where he's seated so I can embrace him and he can know my forgiveness is real. As the elderly woman was led across the courtroom, Vanderbrook fainted, overwhelmed. Someone began singing Amazing Grace. Gradually, everyone joined in. This woman understood that to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with neighbours and enemies is to be free indeed. Do you know, these stories of forgiveness point us to a totally radical way of life, a different way of living that have extreme consequences. And I want to say forgiveness is not a natural act that we can do in our own strength. Know that. It's not a natural act. It's a supernatural act. Okay? And I I find it helpful to think of forgiveness as a gift. It's the gift of God that he's given us to pass on to others. And this gift, it's a gift because it doesn't arise out of or follow from what has happened. It's not the natural response. It's something fresh from outside. And you know, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that Jesus paid our cripplingly, cripplingly large debt through the shedding of his blood. What is impossible in our strength becomes possible in his. We know that Jesus died as a victim of injustice. He was wronged on every side by friend and foe. And because he bore our pain, the hurt that we suffer, as well as our sin, we know that we can forgive. I just want to end by saying this is a huge topic that is relevant to every person in this church. And God has set us another standard. And I want to say, for some of you here, you know there are going to be areas of your life that you are struggling to forgive other people for. And you are going through your head and you're justifying the very reasons why you're able to feel like this. Do you know this parable doesn't give any room for that? God's great forgiveness doesn't give any room for that. It doesn't take away from the pain or the hurt that you feel. It doesn't take away from the fact that what they have done is wrong. But he wants to come. And he wants you to receive again his forgiveness. He wants you to receive that huge debt that you owe to him, that he has wiped clean forever so that you too can forgive.